Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, do not call Justin Bieber a pop star. The bullshit backlash to Meghan Markle's New York Times essay has Zac Efron put an end to his hot normie relationship and then the millennial makeover of Princess Diana. But first, my beloved Zara McDonald, how was your week? Hi, week Hi. was great. Had a really good week. I mean, it is the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> Coming into Christmas, I want my Christmas tree. I want it all. So I'm in a pretty happy mood. I've become obsessed with this guy on TikTok. I've mm. actually forgotten his username. You know the Aww. you know the guy that does all the iPhone tricks. It's the guy yes. on TikTok that does all the iPhone tricks, and he goes, "Here's another iPhone trick. I guarantee you didn't know about." And I you do that really well. Thank you. I feel like I should be his ambassador. And I've become obsessed with, you know, putting all these tricks in my phone, which has been great. But there's been like three different tricks that I've put in my phone where you can screenshot your phone with ease. So it's like Mm. double tap the back of your (gasps) phone, screenshot, hit another thing, screenshot. But it just kind of means that my screenshotting is out of control (laughs) because I've forgotten all the tricks that I've used. So I literally just touch my phone and it screenshots everything. And I was like, this is very dangerous. So this is my PSA to anyone. If you see all those funny iPhone tricks on Instagram, on TikTok, just don't implement all of them because you lose control of your phone. It becomes chaos. What's the best trick? Like the tap on the back one it's revolutionised not- my life when I figured out that was a thing. But it, it did make me think because I look at this stuff and I'm just such a sucker for it, right? Mm. I'm sucked in. And I didn't spend any time sitting back thinking, do I need an easier way to screenshot? Like the screenshot function is so easy, easy as is. And you are so protected from screenshotting stuff you shouldn't be screenshotting. So when you actually think about it logically, it's like, this is the dumbest shit ever. You know, one thing that really annoys me about Apple, particularly my MacBook Pro, Siri is the most like easily activated thing ever. I just stare at my computer and Siri pops up and is like, yes. What did you say? (laughs) It's like, I wonder if, because I've always neglected Siri, like I've never been a Siri user, that Siri tries really hard to get my attention. Anyway, that is my little tip for today. I am, oh (laughs) my God, not again. How does this keep happening? My sibling said to me the other day, they're like, you have started snorting when you laugh lately. I think I snorted once and it activated in my body like a (laughs) snort response. And now when I laugh, I don't intend to do it. It just happens at the end. I was just going to say, the only two times I've ever heard you snort on this podcast. It is such an unsexy thing to do. And I'm so sorry to any snorter that's listening. But if that's going to drive you away, if the truth is going to drive you away from the podcast, then I don't want you here. You know what it is? though you know when people say I've broken the seal like when you're drinking you can't go to the toilet too early in the night because you break the seal I've broken the seal of snorting and it's never going to stop now I mean we spoke the other week that we feel like we have a huge science contingent in our audience of people that work in the science industry I don't even know if that's how you say it (laughs) (laughs) but if anyone with the science background wants to confirm or deny that that would be great my recommendation this week is something that we are going to delve into much later in the episode because I am obsessed with a podcast called You're Wrong about I think it is a pretty basic recommendation at the moment because I thought I was listening to this like indie American podcast that no one had heard of (laughs) and they have recently done a five-part series on Princess Diana and you know the chronicles of her marrying Charles and everything that went on there and I went to check the Apple podcast charts and it's number four so (laughs) me and everyone else my favorite basic bitch I haven't listened to it so I'm more basic than you are at least you're kind of on the train at the time it's it's really good because I mean I've been watching the crown and again we'll talk about that a bit later it is a really 
really in-depth factual kind of recollection of that time. So Mm. huge, huge recommend from me. How was your week? My week was great. On the topic of iPhones, it struck me this week that I am a loyal Apple customer. I actually made a meme for this for our Instagram page and a lot of people agreed with me. A lot of the shameless listenership was like, why the fuck do we all use Apple? Sorry if anyone from Apple is listening. I don't really give a fuck though. We'll still give them all our money. (laughs) Well, we still, this is the problem though, right? Last week, for anyone who listened to the snippet that we put in our feed of us going on Matt and Alex, I told the story of how my boyfriend accidentally dropped his laptop on my laptop. He's got a Windows Surface, like a far cheaper version of my laptop. My laptop costs like fucking $2,000. His cost $500 or something. His Surface was fine. My MacBook was smashed. It's the old Nokia trick. You know, the Nokia brick (sighs) trick, the cheap phones. You could throw them anywhere and they don't break. Well, I want to know from the listeners... Why do we all buy Apple? Is it literally the appeal of having a blue message bubble pop up? You don't want to be the green message person. How did it enter the zeitgeist and enter like the cultural consciousness to the point where the products aren't that good? They all break really easily. You have to get a million new adapters every time you upgrade. They intentionally slow down our products. I love them. I, I, It's like an abusive relationship. Oh, probably. I love it though. I just love having everything linked and I think that's exactly the point. I think that's exactly how you suck them in. I have a Mac, I have an iPhone, I have AirPods. I said that to Mitch though. He's like, Bluetooth, everything's synced anyway. You guys have just suckers for AirDrop. AirDrop is basically Bluetooth. Yeah, I know. What's wrong with us? I don't know. I just love it. (laughs) Any recommendations this week? My recommendation is a cheat recommendation. I was going to recommend The Crown, but we're going to talk about that later in the episode anyway. I want to recommend something that is dropping on Shameless's Instagram feed tomorrow. This is very exciting so I will give you a pass. We are recommending the shameless 12 days of giveaways. We are bringing it back for a second year. We are your Christmas fairy godmothers and for the next 12 days starting on Tuesday which is tomorrow we are doing the best present giveaways. We've got weekend getaways, makeup, watches, skincare, tech, a whole bunch of stuff every single day and I cannot wait. I am so excited. I'm also slightly devastated that we clearly cannot win, nor can any of our friends really either. But it is incredible. We have worked for a really long time to get this off the ground. Again, for those who may have remembered last year, we did 12 days of giveaways. It Mm -hmm. was a competition on Instagram every single day, a pretty hot, sexy prize last year, if I may say so. And it is hotter and sexier this year. What you have to do is you have to be following us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Check out our feed every single day. There will be a new competition for you to enter, a new winner every single day. The Batuta Advocate once called us white millennial Oprahs and we are leaning heavily into that moniker. We are here to give you all the presents that you deserve. It's just the win-win scenario we all need. Just no cars. Just no cars, but getaways. Like, hello, there's two different kinds of holidays you can win. So please follow us on Instagram, keep an eye out because I bloody wish I could win and so do all of my family and friends. See, the most wonderful time of the year year speaking of the most wonderful time of the year I had I think part of the reason my week was so great is I was in charge of manning the hotline inbox this week and we had over a hundred voicemails this week like we had so many people called in with their niche celebrity run-ins and I had an absolute (laughs) blast listening to them all first and foremost thank you to 50% of people called in with very defamatory celebrity (laughs) niche run-ins we can't run any of them that is my fault for asking for drunk celebrity run-ins because all All the stories were just messy and chaotic. There was this amazing one and shout out to the person who sent this in. They will know who they are. (laughs) Who was a journo interviewing a pretty well-known but kind of niche pop star and was called the C-word mid-interview out of nowhere. And I was like, I desperately want to run this. But the allure of this story is no 
knowing the pop star because they are a bit niche. Yes, absolutely. It's like the singer of like a, a boppy 21st anthem. Like the, <laughs> That's all I'm going to give you. Anyway, so we also have another one that's also way too good not to run, but we absolutely have to beep out the name because I think we'll probably get sued. This is one of my favourite hotline messages of the week. Anonymous too, I appreciate that. Hi ladies, I know I'm a little bit late to the party with the celebrity run-in story, but I wanted to share it anyway. So last summer I was down the coast with the family and our dog for Christmas. One day we were out the front and someone had left the gate open and Deke, our beautiful idiot of a rescue dog, has got a sixth sense for an open gate. So we're out the front and I just see him flush past us. So I leg it after him. I don't manage to get him before he gets out of our yard. He goes straight across the road into the neighbor's yard, straight through their front yard and through their front door. I'm like, oh shit. So the front door is open. I'm like, well, I have to get him. I yell out as I'm coming in, you know, just here to get my dog so that I don't startle anyone. Although I'm sure they would have been startled anyway. Not as startled as I was about to be because I come around the corner into their kitchen and I just see this man kicking my dog. And I'm looking at Deke just in shock. And then I look up at this man and it's and in the middle of the bushfire crisis on Christmas Eve has just kicked my dog. <laughs> oh my God. So anyway, I grabbed Deke, legged it out of there. I couldn't say anything. I was just in too much shock. Wow. I love that you and I can know this name. Unfortunately for the listeners, they aren't going to know. But guys, just like, just have a bit of a think. I'm sure, I'm sure some of you are visualising the exact person this is. Think, which Australian star would you suspect might kick a dog? And you're probably bang on. It's a, an Australian TV presenter who is a male. That still is on television still as on well. Television. That is all we will give you. But we thought, what this could be a trend within a trend. Niche, very defamatory celebrity run-ins where we just beep. <laughs> out the name and dm us if you think you know who the celebrity is come to us send us a dm confirm or deny we're not going to confirm or deny but we'll send you an emoji that won't really give you a yes or no answer but just add to the intrigue thank you to the listener who called in and told us this i'm so sorry to your rescue dog i hope your dog is okay i'm sure he is i'd also love some celebrity sex stories that we can bleep out the name like have you slept with a celebrity a niche aussie celebrity please do tell us yeah this is gonna be a bunch of blind items but i'm about (laughs) it mainly because michelle and i have the answers and nobody else does we also got another very good hotline message this week this one was from jordan Hi girls, I love the recommendations you guys give on the show, but I feel like we've been haunted with a little bit of bad juju lately. First there was Christmas with Moody's, and then the Rupert Murdoch documentary was removed from iView, and now, after recommending Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes the high-low earlier this week, they've now announced that next week is their final show ever and I have just become so emotionally invested in this show literally since Monday I thought I'd found my new second favorite podcast and now they're going hopefully this week you guys can I don't know break the juju let's find something long term that we can all commit to thanks girls 
We truly are the kiss of death. <laughs> I know. Like, what the fuck is wrong with us? Everything we touch does not turn to gold. It vanishes in plain sight and no one can find it anymore. I am so sad that the high-low is finishing up. I, I don't think I'm surprised because Dolly and Pandora have been at it for four years. They've got a lot going on in their careers. Pandora is a mum of two now. Like, their lives have changed so much. But I think we definitely wanted to include this one, Zara, in particular, because the high-low was the reason you and I got into podcasting and those two women have been so seminal for podcasting particularly for women around the world a hundred percent I just cannot think of another female duo at least in the last couple of years who have had an impact like those two have they were incredibly influential as you said Mish Mm. in why we started this podcast because you suddenly see people doing it and there's a classic case of I I don't think you do it unless you can see it so I was very sad to hear that they're going for those who haven't really listened to the high low there is an entire backlog of episodes you can go back and listen to and I very much would recommend it the upside of this message from Jordan though Michelle is to prove that we're not completely the kiss of death because the, <laughs> the moody, kiss of life <laughs> in this case the kiss of life we are like what is it Snow White is that the person that was kissed and then came to life no who kissed Snow White to make her come to life yeah, also, that person would be the kiss of life super questionable storyline now that we're not talking consenting. about no anyway <laughs> kiss of life with a moody Christmas because it is on Stan Australia from now I came through with my promise last week I said guys I'm gonna get answers for you I'll reach out to the ABC no need to contact iView or the ABC because Stan Australia contacted us and said guys Christmas has arrived early you are welcome we have officially put a moody Christmas on our platform now quick caveat a lot of people came to me weeks ago in fact over the last three weeks and said a moody Christmas is on Stan a moody Christmas is on Stan Wrong. It was only put on there on Friday. The Moody Christmas you were all referring to was the US version. It's not the same. It's nowhere near as good. It's offensive you're even trying to compare the two. The one we want you to see is called A Moody Christmas. It's on stand now. Make sure it's the Australian version. Fucking enjoy it, guys. The gift of Christmas has been given to you all by Shameless. Thank you, Stan Australia. Patrick Brammel did come back <laughs> into the fold this week. And he, friend of the show. <laughs> friend of the show, star of a moody Christmas, Patrick Brammel, commented on our post, probably the best comment of all, saying... Santa Claus. <laughs> Santa Claus. I actually had completely forgotten what he said, so thanks for saving me there. I pinned the comment because I thought, everyone, please go back to Friday's post and like Patrick Brammel's comment because he deserves it. And he, he didn't help at all through this <laughs> entire process at all. But we love the show and we love him. And Patrick Brammel, if you're listening, leave us a hotline message. What celebrities have you <laughs> running with? I think we need to get into the first segment for today's show. I think we need to get into the first segment of today's show because this is one of my favourite stories of the week. Do not call Justin Bieber a pop star, says Justin Bieber. Don't you dare call Justin Bieber a pop star. He is an R&B star and he finds it offensive to be called anything else. Of course it was Justin Bieber to come out with a rant when the Grammys nominations were announced, despite the fact he was nominated for a Grammy, which other influential and incredible musicians like The Weeknd were not. Justin Bieber, in fact, wrote an essay on his Instagram about all the reasons he hated the fact he was nominated in the pop category. Yes. So for those who did miss it, Justin Bieber was actually nominated for four Grammy nominations. (laughs) He is up for Best Pop Vocal Album. This is the one we'll be talking about today. Best Pop Solo Performance, Best Pop Duo Group Performance and Best Country Duo or Group Performance. But it was the best pop vocal album he wanted to take issue with because, he, of course, he's not a pop star anymore. He is much cooler than that. He is an R&B artist. What did he say on his Instagram, Michelle? He's not an R&B artist, but sure. This is what he wrote. 
I am very meticulous and intentional about my music. With that being said, I set out to make an R&B album. Changes was and is an R&B album. It is not being acknowledged as an R&B album, which is very strange to me. Some fans did very aptly point out to Justin Bieber in his comment section that his own record label categorised his album as pop on both Spotify and Apple Music and maybe he needs to take this up with his internal team. Also, we did have a response from Recording Academy Chair and Interim President and CEO Harvey Mason Jr., who in an interview with Pitchfork said, we always want to respect the artist's wishes. Art's a funny thing because it's so subjective (laughs) and at the Academy, our goal is to honour excellence. I love the line art is subjective, i.e. we are right and you are wrong, but say whatever you want. (laughs) The other line in his statement that I did love, Mish, was this one. For this to not be put in that category feels weird, considering from the chords to the melodies to the vocal style all the way down to the hip-hop drums that were chosen, it is undeniably, unmistakably an R&B album exclamation mark. (laughs) There's a tiny bit of Donald Trump about this. There's so much Donald Trump about this. His perspective sometimes comes across as... Not reading the room very well. Yeah, I just feel like if you're getting nominated for four Grammys, the statement you come out with is not that you didn't want to be nominated <laughs> in one of the categories, especially for best pop album. Maybe he doesn't want to compete against some other big names in the pop category. I don't know. But the star did beg fans to not mistake this as me being ungrateful. These are just my thoughts. Take them or leave them. My favourite part about this whole story, Mish, I think is the many passive-aggressive news headlines that have landed since this statement was released. One of my favourites was from Pop Sugar. Justin Bieber feels weird about pop Grammy nominations, says changes is undeniably (laughs) (laughs) R&B. Another one from Perth now. Justin Bieber makes statement about strange Grammy nomination, insists he made an R&B album. (laughs) With everyone basically being like... You didn't, mate. It's a pop album. I do really feel sorry for The weekend, though. Like, I touched on him a little bit earlier, but he did call out the Grammys after he failed to receive any nominations for his latest album, After Hours. If you're thinking, oh, After Hours sounds a bit familiar, it should. This album topped charts. His singles, Heartless and Blinding Lights. I feel like Blinding Lights is the biggest song of the last year. That one. And especially on TikTok. Like, I know that... I know that art is subjective, as the CEO of the Grammy Awards said. However, a song that was this culturally relevant, that was this pervasive, that was this popular, to not even receive a nomination just seems baffling to me. Like, to the point where I'm like, did the Grammys intentionally ignore The weekend? as a publicity push for the Grammy. So people oh, no took an way. interest in it. Oh, what a cons- How could you're this a conspiracy theorist. I know. I and I actually very much love this album too. Like I think this is a good album and I don't really like music that much. I don't listen to albums. I don't know albums in their entirety. Mm. Like I just don't appreciate music as much as music should be appreciated. Mm. But I did like this album. So I was very surprised to see. Apparently in my reading, I found out that the people who vote for the noms are all anonymous. So Mm. nobody has any idea who are making these decisions, which I find interesting and probably why The Weeknd has come out and said, you owe me and everyone else transparency. Though it was... It was one for the gals, I must say. It was one for the gals. Beyonce came out with nine nominations overall. Taylor Swift is up for six awards for her lockdown album, Folklore. A couple of fans right here. And Dua Lipa. 
Our gal Dua Lipa. I think I love Dua Lipa more than anyone else in the world right now. Also picked up six nominations for Future Nostalgia. Sorry so- to your boyfriend Ollie about that. Oh no, he doesn't mind. He's, <laughs> he's on in on it too, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Congrats to all the gals. Good to see some girl power. Very sad for the weekend. He did accuse them of being corrupt. Who knows, maybe they are. Thoughts and prayers with Justin Bieber, Mr. Popstar. Coming up after the break, we need to talk about Princess Diana's millennial makeover. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories of the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle Elizabeth Snorty Andrews, <laughs> what have you got for me? G'day. My first story, Duchess of Sussex opens up about miscarriage in New York Times article. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. For anyone who missed it, I doubt there are many of you. Meghan Markle, who is the 39-year-old former actress, also the wife of Prince Harry, wrote in the New York Times about her experience of miscarrying her second child. This happened in July this year. She kept it secret and kept it private for a a few months and then felt like she was ready to share this news with the world what four or five months down the track yeah and a pretty powerful way of doing it I mean the essay itself was incredibly powerful Mm. and very well written and just like just a terrible experience for anyone to go through I mean we delved quite deeply into this when we spoke about Chrissy Teigen's experience with miscarriage and her being public about her struggle and how that kind of divides people strangely divides people into two camps women who feel very seen by these women who share their experiences particularly women who have been through the same thing and have felt siloed and silenced and full of shame shame they shouldn't be feeling and then a camp of people who think that these women are doing it for attention and I think obviously when it comes to Meghan Markle there are so many undertones to the criticisms faced with her particularly racial undertones Mm. and also sexist undertones but mainly racial undertones that critics cannot possibly accept that this may just be a woman wanting to make people feel a little bit less alone rather than a woman craving more public attention I think if there's anyone who doesn't want more public attention, it's probably Meghan and Harry. Yeah, people just always assume that her intentions are bad. Yeah. And it's really baffling. I find it interesting. I wrote last week's newsletter column about this Zara and I just find it interesting. I think there is a bit of a generational divide as well that comes with women sharing really candid, open, honest stories about women's experiences. And it's so interesting that all of the big taboos about human experience tend to be around the female lived experience in that there are taboos around endometriosis, vaginismus, sexual assault, single motherhood, fertility, miscarriage, stillbirth, child loss. And I just don't find that to be a coincidence. It truly does feel like we often treat women's stories as if they are illegitimate or uninteresting or boring or banal. And there is such a generational divide, I think, in that when women want to take ownership of their story and ownership of their lives and shirk off shame, some older women or some women who are perhaps still living under the belief that their story and their lives aren't as legitimate as the men around them, look at the women around them who are being loud and go, Mm, she loves the spotlight or mm, she has to have unusual intentions or I'm going to assume the worst in her and I just think that's such a shame and we found it really interesting during the week when we posted about Meghan Markle's miscarriage that so many women flocked to our post to make comments like I despise Meghan Markle but I'm sorry for her loss and it's like why do so many women want to tell the world feel this like insatiable thirst to tell the world that they dislike Meghan Markle. It doesn't make sense to me. 
Yeah, it is this strange, strange propensity. And I know that we're talking generally now about women, but I think it, a lot of it does come down to internalized mm. misogyny as well, working out like, well, why do you have such a visceral hate for this woman? Mm. Is it internalized misogyny? Is it racism? Is there stuff we need to unpack here? Because I think that there's a lot mm. we need to unpack. But I found it really odd that people needed to have that disclaimer before they shared their opinion or their sympathy. I mean, one of the most fucking terrible articles to come out of this whole story was one from the Herald Sun and Susie O'Brien where the headline read sympathy for Megan doesn't mean I like her I just don't get why people are looking at a woman in the public eye and seeing her announcing her miscarriage something traumatic and awful and filled with grief and going now is the opportunity for me to remind the world that she's not that likable or I don't find her that likable what is it within people that says now's the time to do that this is a woman who's sharing a miscarriage story can we just step back for a second and except the fact none of us have fucking met Meghan Markle. I, I would be surprised if anyone listening to this has met Meghan Markle anyway or if Susie O'Brien has. What is compelling you to tell the world that you don't like her? A couple of the lines that really got me in this article and really fired me up were, in the piece, Meghan describes herself as a mother, feminist and advocate. More humble bragging. <sighs> she is a mother and a feminist, but advocate? Surely not. It's like... In what world is this even fucking relevant? The next line that really got me, the stand first of the New York Times piece reads, perhaps the path to healing begins with three simple words, are you okay? Perhaps the path to healing for this young woman is to say nothing at all. So it's like, okay, so that's your point. You want her to shut the fuck up, right? Like that's what you want. You want a woman and a woman of colour who has shared extreme excruciating pain to shut the fuck up. I that's what you want. I goosebumps all over my body because I'm, I'm so mad about this. I'm so mad about it. I think really terrible things about women who want to come out and shit on Meghan Markle right now. I think it says everything about you and nothing about her. My second story. (laughs) Rolling right into it. Meet Australia's newest and youngest self-made millionaires. That is from the Australian Financial Review. Zara, you and I really did like this this year. I mean, I'm always a fan of the AFR rich lists. I don't know why. They're juicy. I have no idea why. They are quite juicy. And and this week, the AFR came out with their yearly young rich list, which details the top 100 richest people in the country. Under the age of 40. Under the age of 40. So there were some interesting and new names on this. One person to debut who our listeners will have heard of, of course, is Zoe Foster-Blake. She's one of 18 debutantes on this year's Young Rich List, Mish, together with Ash Barty. Yes. So Zoe is estimated to be worth 36 million. She posed for photos in this article as well. Ash Barty is estimated to be worth 28 million. Kayla Itzinas and her partner, Toby Pierce, interestingly, Zara, were coupled together in the article, but announced that they were actually splitting and getting a divorce this year. So it's interesting that they're still being grouped together. I think it's because they're still co-business partners. Yeah, potentially. They're worth $209 million. Miranda Kerr won $20 million. Chris Hemsworth, $90 million. Jennifer Hawkins, $60 million. Margot Robbie, $50 million. Leighton Hewitt, still on the list, $40 mil. Yeah, I don't mind that. <laughs> Fuck, we should have been good at tennis, shouldn't we? <gasps> I, I was surprised by Miranda being so high on this list. Like $120 million is a lot of money. I think her investments and her business core organics must be going far more bananas than perhaps I've given it credit for. Far well, more bananas. Far more bananas. <laughs> yeah, not my, not my finest work. Um, the founders of High Smile too. I didn't realise High Smile was so huge. They were listed here with a combined worth of $107 million. I mean, these are just mind-boggling figures, right? Proves how effective influencer marketing is. I do really love that Zoe Foster-Blake lent into this article and this list this year. I love that Zoe's name is on this. I loved that she posed for the article as well because I think... 
There were only, what, 11 out of 100 people on this list that were women. I did a really quick head count, so give or take one or two. But yes, about <laughs> 11 out of 100. Give or take, plus or minus 10%. Let's say about 10%, though. 10% of this list were women. So yeah. still not a huge contingent of women who are making their mark on this list. Yeah, and someone like Zoe, who has a huge platform, who has a huge profile in Australia, I think her kind of railing against the culture of tall poppy syndrome, particularly the tall poppy syndrome that faces Australian women, I love it. I love that she embraced her success and I'm really happy that she didn't want to be meek and mild about her achievements. She's self-made and she has every right to celebrate that. Absolutely. My third story, Baywatch star Zac Efron rumoured to have split with Byron Bay girlfriend Vanessa Valadares. That is from Perth now. <sighs> Rip hot normie. I know. I don't think hot normies a thing anymore. So for those who may have missed this story, it is still rumours and still sources. But I do get the sense that if there was a, an article about <laughs> my relationship in the past, because of course it would, saying, you know, Zara and partner split, you would come out immediately and say, that's actually not true. We haven't split. Zara and partner interested in three-way with Julie. <laughs> <laughs> I am sad. I just let that sit there. <laughs> because <laughs> you are daily mail if you're listening nah, he it. just says that Dua Lipa is the sexiest person he follows and he's like but you make me follow her so it's so fine that is so fine I am sad about Vanessa Valadares our favorite hot normie here at Shameless when I put this up on the Shameless Instagram story and kind of said guys no it's over we are devastated a lot of the listeners did come back to us and be like what do you mean this is our chance like all the hot normies in Adelaide where Zac Efron is currently filming his new Stan original film or it might be a series, not quite sure. Stan so, original something. Stan original something. They're like, the Adelaide women of Australia can now shine. We've had someone in Byron Bay. Maybe you can just travel around the country and have flings with women all over the country. I did really like Vanessa though. She had an energy and a cool factor that I really just, I found aspirational. There was something hugely aspirational about this story. <laughs> Working at a Byron Bay cafe. I mean, neither of us are cool enough to do that, nor are we cool enough to live in Byron Bay, nor are we cool enough to attract the attention of Zac Efron. A source did tell The Sun, Zac and Vanessa looked like the real deal. They bloody did. They were besotted with each other. Zac has been renting a place by the beach in Byron Bay and by September, Vanessa was living with him there. So once he decided to stay stay in Australia long term he suggested they buy their first home I mean what going on here bullshit they started to look at a few places but sadly fate wasn't on their side I just don't think you go from being as serious about each other that you're looking at buying a house together to then the next week being like actually let's break up all together well I did see an interesting line in one of the articles about it being like a holiday romance and I was like there is something to the intensity of a summer holiday romance mm. that is kind of all really nice and happy and I don't even know how to describe it and then you realise that maybe the longevity is not there. What are you laughing at? Maybe this is a Love Etc. episode because I'm just thinking when I was on Kentucky when I was 19 or 20 I had like a Kentucky boyfriend where we met at the beginning of a four-week Kentucky and then just spent the entire time together. I think everybody thinks they fall in love on holiday. So it's maybe so was, was this a Kentucky? Was Zac Efron <laughs> and Vanessa Valadares your Kentucky love? <laughs> My fourth story. Hijab wearing supermodel Halima Aiden quits fashion industry. That is from LG Zero. This was a really interesting story this week. For those who may not know who Halima Aiden is, I mean, I bet you'd know her face. The name is probably familiar because we've spoken about her on the podcast before. 18 months ago, she set conversations about modesty and fashion alight with both critics and supporters when she became the first headscarf-wearing model to grace the cover of Sports Illustrated. The reason that she's in the news this week, Mish, is because she posted a series of Instagram stories and she posted a lot and they were super, super interesting about how she doesn't 
want to give in to expectations of her on set anymore that she feels like she signed up for jobs she kind of wished she didn't do anymore mm. because a lot of brands expected her to wear stuff that she wouldn't really consider a hijab. Yeah, I find this really fascinating, particularly because Halima Aiden is now 23 and she was, she's been in this industry for a, a few years now. And obviously when you're 20 and you're new and you're fresh faced on the scene, I think you put up with a lot more than what you do once you kind of come into your own and your career develops. And she did write on her Instagram stories, I can only blame myself for caring more about opportunity than what was actually at stake. If my hijab can't be this visible, I'm not showing up. She did point to the fact that a lot of the people in the fashion industry are either white or they are not Muslim and therefore they don't appreciate or have an understanding of her culture to the level that would be expected to work with her and to style her on campaigns. She did point to Rihanna's Fenty Beauty. I mean, I feel like Rihanna again and again proves herself to be a pioneer and really a progressive in the industry. She wrote, Rihanna, let me wear the hijab I brought to set. This is the girl I'm returning to, the real Halima. I think it's such an interesting lesson for the fashion industry at large, including labels like Kanye West's Yeezy, who Halima posed for, to be culturally sensitive with the way they're styling their models and to not put jeans on hijabi women's heads and say that that's an adequate head covering. I would really, really recommend anyone listening to this, go to Halima's Instagram page and watch her stories. They're in a highlight still on her page. So they're all there for you. And you can kind of read the story in her own words. My fifth story, Jennifer Aniston shares image of a mystery man laying on the floor with her dog Clyde nearby while on set of the morning show. That is from the Daily Mail. This was one of the more ridiculous stories to come out of the week. So the Daily Mail ran a story because Jennifer Aniston posted a selfie of this little dog. I think it was her dog. Oh, yeah, her dog Clyde. Clyde, Just kind of poking his head in the photo. But there's like this man's body lying at her feet. Looks like a dead body, but I think it is. And the Daily Mail copy was what got me because, you know, I love a Daily Mail quote or two. I wrote down some of my favourite lines from this article. Jennifer Aniston shared an image to Instagram on Tuesday where her face could barely be seen. (laughs) There was a mystery man laying on the floor as her dog Clyde looked up at her. I see you, Clyde. The 51-year-old TV and movie star wrote over the photo as she failed to address who the male friend was. Who is the fellow? Was a little caption under the photo. The man on the floor wore khaki cargo slacks just like her ex-husband Brad Pitt does. He also had on a silver watch with a black face. Pitt models a similar watch for Breitling. The straws that are being clutched in this article are epic. There was no hint who the man could be, but he looked very relaxed as he stretched. (laughs) You literally only have like a torso to go off. How does he look very relaxed or stretched? Also... To imply that someone is stretching just because they're lying down is a mistake in my opinion anyway, but probably very relaxed if you are lying down. I prefer to be horizontal most of the day anyway. I do love the classic Daily Mail tactic of just repeating what they've already said in extra words to meet that word count. The mystery person had on a grey top and khaki cargo slacks with a silver watch that had a dark face. (laughs) So she'll be like, my name is Michelle. Michelle is my name. (laughs) (laughs) Is that all you've got for me? That's all I've got. Thank you, next bitch. If there's one thing taking hold of the zeitgeist at the moment, it is Princess Diana. It's been 23 years since the former princess died and it feels a little bit like the world won't ever fatigue from telling and hearing her story. 
This month, The Crown Season 4 dropped, introducing Princess Diana to legions of the show's fans who were perhaps too young to remember or accurately appreciate the impact she had on the British royal family and the world at large. The American podcast, You're Wrong About, yes, the one I just mentioned before, <laughs> last month released a five-part series on the Princess of Wales' journey from kindergarten teacher to world's most photographed woman, a podcast so popular it's currently sitting at number four on the Aussie podcast charts. And then, of course, Netflix is jumping on a new generation's fixation on her too, their homepage covered in promotion for their own 2017 Diana documentary. So, is this the millennial makeover of Princess Diana? And what is our generation learning about the woman who once very easily was the most famous face in the world? Mish, talk to me. You've just jumped into season four of The Crown. What is the most startling thing you've learned so far about Diana? I have. The Crown lost me for a time. I got bored around like, there were a couple of decades where I'm like I don't know any of these people the but basically <laughs> Queen Elizabeth and like Charles and Philip so I'm just going to give it a miss until the juicy years and the fourth season really is the onset of the juicy years where Diana comes on the scene and to answer your question I think the thing that surprised me most or the thing that has gripped me most about her story I feel like I'm being told it the first time because I was only a toddler when she died is how young she was I cannot believe the age gap between her and Prince Charles, someone who was first in line to the throne when they met and someone with just unrivaled power basically compared to anyone else in the world, certainly in the United Kingdom. And she was 16. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was still in school. She was obsessed with drama and dancing and acting and singing. And for her within three years, only after a handful of meetings with Prince Charles to find herself engaged and find herself locked away in a palace all alone, was like a twisted, haunting fairy tale gone wrong. It does feel a lot like that. And I think you're absolutely right. It does feel like for people our age in particular, like I was three when Diana Mm. died. And yes, you know, like bits and pieces and you see Harry and William and you see the story that they want to tell. But it does feel very much like you're hearing a lot of this for the first time and getting a lot of context that perhaps you've missed for ages. And I mean, the moment that Diana is having right this second feels quite incredible. Like Mm. I'm seeing random people I follow on Instagram post Diana fashion inspo. And yes, that's always been around on Instagram, but it's far more at the moment than ever. Mm. We're seeing Netflix, as I said before, advertise a documentary that they made in 2017. We've got films coming out next year about Diana. And it really does feel like our generation is waking up and learning a lot about this stuff. And I mean, full credit to The Crown. I think Mm. I don't think it's small minded or single minded to consider that The Crown has a huge impact impact on what parts of royal history we're talking about when and I think the crown's impact does reverberate on the zeitgeist and now an entirely new generation of people like you and me who have grown up with Harry and Will and watched them try to kind of reinvent the monarchy and modernize the monarchy now have a much deeper insight into the history of faces we know so well. Well we're both sitting here in bike shorts, baggy t-shirts and like runners or sneakers and I don't think there's a look that's more Princess Diana than that and we're probably wearing what we're wearing because we've been informed subtly by the photos we've seen all over our feeds. Like I think her fashion and her style has absolutely infiltrated our generation now and I don't think that's a coincidence that we're wearing what we're wearing right now. This is one thing I've thought a lot about 
about this week is that I do think a small part of it, not the whole part of it, but a small part of it is the cyclical nature of fashion. And mm. I think at the moment we're very much leaning into that late 80s, early to mid 90s look like slogan tees and jumpers, the bike shorts that you said, big blazers. Her fashion at the moment when we look back feels particularly timeless just because of where our trends are at. And I think there's something that breaks down time barriers when we consider that. It makes the 90s feel closer than they were and it makes her feel like us more than ever. Yeah. And I think how the crown is now looking at her life, particularly her early life at a time when TV and social media are so inextricably entwined, like they are so symbiotic now. It really has seen Princess Diana almost live on even in Instagram pages. Like I'm not sure if you've seen the Lady Die Divorce Revenge Looks Instagram page. This is a page with more than 75,000 followers. It's run by a woman called Eloise Moran and it's literally her sharing photos of Diana's outfits and it is completely taken off. She gave a quote recently that said she was the most photographed woman in the world for almost two decades. I do think if you're the most photographed woman in the world, that has a ripple effect that comes back. I also find it interesting that Jessica Hobbs, one of the directors on The Crown season four, gave a quote saying, Diana was one of our first influencers. She was an early influencer. And the way that we see fashion influencers online now, she did it first and so brilliantly. How good's that? And there is something so strange about how cyclical this all is, particularly Mm. when it comes to fashion, particularly when it comes to influence. And there was this really interesting article for The Print by Rachel John, who wrote, is there room for Diana? Diana mania in the 21st century. So much has been written and said already about Diana, the Princess of Wales. After several movies, books, documentaries and thousands of tabloid scoops through the 1980s and 1990s, you would think there would be Diana fatigue by now. Is anything new even possible? Apparently, yes. She now has gotten a millennial makeover and has gained a huge following among Gen Z and distinctly millennial women. Largely, Rachel argues, because of the crown. And it is pretty remarkable when you think like that. Who would have thought there was even space for this? Like, Mm. it is pretty incredible that a very well-told story, like almost the most well-told story in the world doesn't seem to be at risk of fatigue just yet. No, and this was a huge gamble by Netflix. Like no one should forget that this is Netflix's most expensive television series that they run. Every season costs upwards of $130 million. That's nuts. US. I didn't know it was that incredibly, much. incredibly, incredibly expensive. And this was a risk for them to take. And I think the interesting thing about The Crown is, yeah, it's caused a stir so far. Like people have really loved it. It's probably one of their most popular shows that they run. If it's popular now, how the hell is it going to look like in season five and season six when Elizabeth Debicki, an Australian woman, by the way, is playing Princess Diana in the moments when she and Charles divorce or when Princess Diana dies. This will be the biggest television series on my watch anyway of the next decade. And one thing I will note too, because I'm preempting comments, we might get that yes, the crown is not entirely sticking to fact. Like there are tiny bendings of the truth Mm. and yes, parts of it are fiction, but there are so much stuff around now. And I think that's the point that both you and I want to make is that there is also a lot of fact around outside of the crown. There Mm. are documentaries, there are podcast series that do speak to the facts and do tell this story in a really important and accurate, accurate way for me it feels a little bit like for people our age we are living royal history backwards Mm. we've had prince william and prince harry like i've said and now we get all the context behind their childhood 
a bunch of context potentially about why Harry and Meghan Left. wanted to leave. And yeah. I think I'll get to that in a second. But one quote that I wanted to read was from the culture editor of The Independent, Adam White, who wrote, younger millennials, meanwhile, tend to embrace her oddly ageless street style. We've already made this point. <laughs> and existence as a kind of proto-gone girl. She was the wronged woman who flourished, outsmarting the powerful figures who thought they knew better and looking incredible while doing it. Good for her, they say, while retweeting that same image of her in her 1994 revenge dress or the -the off-the-shoulder number she wore to a gala the same night Charles tried and failed to win back the public's affection with a televised interview. I find this interesting. The Gone Girl comparison, first and foremost, feels a tiny bit extreme given Mm. the plot of that film. But there's something small there, this idea of like she had this surface image of perfection like Mm. absolute surface image of perfection and then you do dig a bit deeper and you find something far grittier and far more rebellious and I think it's the rebellion that a lot of women our age will really resonate with yeah well I think she was almost ahead of her time right like she really was by all accounts this very empowered feminist woman who refused to be stifled and refused to be silenced and I think to draw a parallel to the Meghan Markle story that we touched on in the quick and dirty I don't find it surprising that Meghan Markle and Harry behave and approach the public eye in the way that they do because Diana was a pioneer when it came to speaking out and being public about really private personal things. I mean, she did that interview. It's it's only recently been the 25-year anniversary of her doing that explosive interview with the BBC's Panorama program when she said there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. In that same interview, she also revealed for the first time that she had struggled with bulimia and struggled with self-harm, struggled with postnatal depression. She was a feminist and she spoke proudly and loudly about the things that had plagued her life as a woman and the way that she was mistreated in that house. And it's not surprising that so many women and so many people around the world loved her then. But also so many young women growing up now are discovering her and feeling like her message and the role that she played and the symbol that she presented was and is timeless. Which is all the more infuriating that maybe some of those same women don't afford the same luxury to Meghan Markle. Mm. And another line in The Independent from Adam White really spoke to me. He wrote, Diana may have died in that Paris car crash, but she continues to loom over much of the royal family, the media and culture at large. British royalty will never again embrace stiff self-isolation, their very survival dependent on the same empathy and openness that Diana masterminded as a public figure and parent. I want to quickly go back to this Meghan Markle story from this week. Because there was a really interesting line in a lot of the stories about Meghan Markle and the palace's response to her miscarriage. The Daily Beast's incredibly well-connected reporter Tom Sykes reported, the office of Queen Elizabeth said she would be making no comment on the deeply personal issue. Prince Charles' spokesperson said he would not be commenting on the private issue. Prince William's office said they would not comment Mm. this sense that like diana does loom large over that royal family but it's not like much is changing like there does seem to be a real rigidity to the royal family and i think it's impossible to not look back and understand how much her presence looms over the family and how much we can draw parallels between harry and Meghan leaving like Mm. i think as much as the british monarchy would love to pretend they've modernized they still seem to possess those very traits that Diana was trying to push back on decades ago. They appear cold, unfeeling, out of touch, 
almost irrationally obsessed with tradition. And it will bring them undone. Yes. Netflix with The Crown approached the royal family before they began working on season one to collaborate and to have a relationship, at least a communication channel open so that Netflix could uh, discuss storylines, fact check things, all of that type of stuff. The royal family said no. And I think that is such a terrible mistake because the way that Netflix can now present stories and the way they can go about their stuff and the kind of sources they're going to be speaking to are not those aligned with the royal family. And I think this is going to very much reignite the fire people felt in their bellies 20, 30 years yeah. ago about Prince Charles. He's going to be king one day and he's going to be fucking hated. I hate Prince Charles. We also have very short memories. Like, when <laughs> you forget how much you hate someone. I think, though, the only thing I would disagree with you about is I don't necessarily think it was a mistake that they didn't collaborate because what they can do now is hide behind the fact that they didn't collaborate. The fact is you cannot rewrite history. Like, yes, they might not have collaborated on the Crown thing, but they can't stop other podcasts and other factual documentaries going ahead telling exactly the same story. Mm. At least with the Crown, which is as popular as it is, they can say, but none of this is true. That's fair enough. That's a good point. Which brings me to my next question. Do you think the Crown is the worst thing to happen to the British monarchy since Diana died? Because I wonder if a lot of people will keep watching, people our age, and resent exactly as you say what appears to be a meaningless institution. I mean, I have to acknowledge my own cognitive dissonance here. As someone who enjoys the spectacle of the royals, who adored watching the royal weddings, who likes consuming royal news, I feel conflicted, but I also appreciate that the more you watch and consume not just fictionally The Crown, but other documentaries and podcasts, it it does make you wonder why this institution seems to have so much power and so much money. Like, it doesn't seem to make much sense when it feels a little bit like a prison. Mm, I mean... Being really honest from my own perspective, I don't find anyone in the royal family who's still in the royal family interesting. The only people I ever found interesting and only ever read articles Mm -hmm. about was Meghan and Harry. And the fact they've left, I think, speaks to how irrelevant, to me anyway, and the people like me, the royal family will become. There is going to be a lot of tension. I mean, clearly there's tension already between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and the royal family, but particularly now that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are on Team Netflix. They have signed hundreds of millions of dollars with Netflix to make documentaries for them. They are with the streaming behemoth all while that streaming behemoth comes for Prince Harry's dad and doesn't depict him in a great way at all. I think this is such a divide and such a chasm that now stands between the modern royals, the ones who aren't even in the palace anymore, and the ones who are still sitting on ugly upholstered chairs <laughs> and pretending they're still like relevant and that people care. It's so true. With all that money, you'd think you'd have hotter decor, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> one quote I did want to read out from Rihanna and Lucy Coslett for The Guardian was this one. These days, many, many, many more young women identify as feminist and as with the treatment of Monica Lewinsky, many of them are looking at the Diana story with horror. This is a generation raised in a celebrity culture obsessed with female pain and now they're seeing the exoriation of the Duchess of Sussex in the press. They are now wondering how much has really changed. Mm. Like, it is... An incredible week to consider both of these stories hand in hand, the Meghan Markle story and the fact that Princess Diana is just everywhere. Because as I said in this intro, it's been 23 years since she died. How much has really changed? Yeah, and we've had to watch women like her die, women like Meghan Markle receive 
racial hatred and just completely baffling condemnation, all while people like Prince Andrew continue to thrive despite being linked to pedophiles. So, I mean, it's an interesting thing to watch and I don't think they'll be relevant to our listenership and the people like our listenership for much longer at all. I wanted to finish with this line from that article in the print that I started with because I thought it was really, really searing. Perhaps what really draws people to Diana generation after generation is the lost potential. I think that was huge when I realised that she was only 36 when she died. I mean, you always had a sense that she was young, but 36 is just baby-like young. She really could have changed a lot in the years that were stolen from her. And I think that is probably why we'll never fatigue from the story of her. Mm, Absolutely right. I think that is all we have time for today. I think it is. Guys, as we mentioned at the very start of the episode, tomorrow is the beginning (laughs) of our 12 days of Christmas. God, what a pivot. (laughs) A pivot and a half. It is the start of our 12 days of Christmas. So come and follow us at Shameless Podcast and join the competitions, a daily competition for a Christmas present for not just you, but often a friend as well. A great Segui of her. (laughs) (laughs) The Segui queen. Hey guys, have a great week. The best way to support us right now is to tell a friend. If you know a friend who likes the same shit you like, tell them about Shameless, send them a link to this episode, tell them to subscribe if they're on Apple Podcasts or follow if they're on Spotify. Helps us out every single week. Yeah, and don't forget your niche celeb run-ins. We can't (laughs) wait to air them next week. I can't wait to spend hours at my desk again listening to them all. Sex stories. We want sex stories. No, we don't. See you guys on Facebook. Bye. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to... To our show, please do head to your favorite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.